Good morning. Good to see your bright, shiny faces this uh, glorious Epiphany Day. It's always nice to have the sun shining on Epiphany as well. You know, when there's like snow on the ground and there's like clouds everywhere and it's dark and gray, you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like Epiphany. So, but not that we're enthusiasts, but a little sunshine certainly doesn't help. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, by the leading of a star, you made known your only begotten Son to the Gentiles. Lead us who know you by faith to enjoy in heaven the fullness of your divine presence. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, a couple of housekeeping items. If you're coming to late service, I will not be there to shake your hand afterwards. Um, My grandmother passed away uh, to her heavenly home on Thursday. Uh, Don't be sad. This is a great joy. She lived, uh, turned 100 last spring. She would have been 101 this spring. Uh, was sound mind, but not body, Uh, was eating three squares a day and watching Jeopardy up until a day or two uh, before she passed. So uh, it's a thanks be to God moment. So funeral is tomorrow uh, afternoon at two o'clock in St. James, Minnesota. Uh, Her name, you'll hear it in the prayers, uh, was Aladine Noreen, N-O-R-E-N. I don't think that's originally how they pronounced it, but that's how it's been for a century or so, okay? Um, so I'm gonna fly out, actually I'm gonna try and catch the 135 flight, so pray for me. <laughs> so and, uh, so, so that's, that's the plan, and then I'll be back Tuesday, I think I fly back in Tuesday afternoon, so uh, family's meeting up there. Um, family's staying behind, uh, wife is now starting a new job this week, uh, just a short five month stint. You, want me to, you don't want me to tell them this? Well, they've been praying for you to get a job, and now that God gave you a job, it seems like we should give thanks for that, right? So she's teaching English down at Central Christian Academy on the south side of Indianapolis, so, um, so she'll be doing that for uh, at least this semester, so, so that's the plan with that. Okay, a um, couple of other housekeeping items I just wanted to mention. I don't know if I did a couple of weeks ago. You'll notice in the bulletin, there is a sheet now that has all of the scripture readings, as well as the introit, uh, the collect, the gradual, and the verse, okay? These are called propers. So there are the propers for the day. The propers are what changes uh, from Sunday to Sunday. And so one of the reasons I like to have these in the bulletin is I'm, I'm really hoping not only will it be helpful in our divine service, but for you to stick these in your Bible, your devotional, your pocket, take a picture of it with your smartphone or device, and use them throughout the week. Um, So these are the readings, the prayers, uh, and it's all scripture, as you notice, other than the collects, but those are drawn from scripture, uh, appointed for the day. Now, one other thing you'll notice is I know uh, Pastor Feeney had his own uh, lunar cycle lectionary that he had written, and I started kind of working through that, and wow, uh, really amazed with with what he did with that. Um, And then uh, this past year, Pastor Grady started you on the three-year lectionary, um, and then now we're on the one-year lectionary. So hold on to your seats. And uh, and, and so I I have used, I've used the three-year, I've used the one-year, I haven't used Pastor Feeney's lectionary. Uh, That was new to me. Um, and, uh, and, And like them all. So just, just a brief word about what a lectionary is. Lectionary comes from the word lection, which translated means lesson. That's all it is. So it's the lessons that are appointed for the Sunday. Okay? Historically, going all the way back, and Pastor Feeney had taught you this uh, quite well with his lunar cycle lectionary, everything was done on a yearly cycle. 
Um, it was just the easiest to do it that way. You think of our seasons, that sort of thing. A one-year cycle is traditionally what has taken place. It wasn't until Vatican II, uh, which, which took place, uh, Second Vatican Council, that would have been, when did that start in 59? I always forget, it was, it was, it was uh, early 60s is really what it was, uh, was they introduced uh, what's called a three-year lectionary. And this was a brand new thing a three-year cycle of reading. So instead of going through the same readings, the propers, on, uh, on a 12-month cycle, you do it on a 36-month cycle, okay? And that became known as the Revised Common Lectionary, the RCL. Um, and of course, you know, people always give uh, Roman Catholics a lot of grief, uh, but it's funny because most of the major denominations followed them in adopting a three-year cycle of readings, which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with the three-year series. Uh, it's, you, you know, you cover, the intent was you cover more scripture over the course of three years. The only caveat with that, and you might notice, is that with the three-year cycle, you, you'd have like a reading through the book of Corinthians, and it wouldn't necessarily connect with the Old Testament and the gospel. Uh, it was just kind of there by itself, and you just kind of covered it each week. Um, it's all scripture. I'm not going to get into the argument about which lectionary is better. Is Pastor Feeney's better? Is the three-year better? Is the one-year better? Let's not even have that discussion. It's all scripture, okay? So we're not going to put scripture against each, each, uh, each other. Um, through some of my studies, uh, and it started really probably about seven or eight years ago, as I studied, started learning more about not only church history, but as I started looking at our catechesis in our parish, and catechesis is literally teaching of the catechism. Uh, catechism comes from the, the word kateko, which simply means question and answer. So it's, it's a type of, of teaching. So really, if you have any books in classes or if you have, you know, uh, you, you've got a manual at work or that sort of thing, technically that's a catechism. If it's got questions and answers in it, it's a catechism. It may not be called that, but that's really all it is. Um, and so in the process of teaching, um, I started looking at not only the readings that we were trying to teach our youth, you know, the scripture readings, but also the process of the catechism. And the one thing I found with the historic one-year lectionary which is really not as historic as it's made out to be. It's actually had some changes over the years, but we'll save that for a whole nother Bible study. Uh, and, uh, and you guys went through some of that here with the Lutheran service book because you were one of the initial pilot congregations, correct? That did some work for Lutheran service book. So, you know, I don't know how much of you remember some of this lectionary talk back then, but what I found with the one-year series was it really fit the process of teaching the catechism starting in September all the way to May. In other words, the primary texts that would be used in teaching the catechism, um, and right now, raise your hand if you've got a 7th or 8th grader in Pastor Grady's class. So they're using Lutheran Catechesis, which is by uh, Pastor uh, Peter Bender. Um, and you'll notice the primary text, pay attention now, look at your, uh, your youth's book, uh, because what you'll see is as they kind of work through the lessons, they, were, they will mirror the gospel lessons that are appointed for the Sundays, okay? So, so long story short, um, Pastor Grady said, you know, I want something that's going to connect a little bit more to the catechism, and I'm, and I'm not sure if the three years doing it. I said, well, I said, do you want to try the one year? And he's like, woohoo! <laughs> And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that's, that's what you're getting here. Now, the only thing that you'll notice is that there's not as many Missouri Synod congregations that do the one year as there are the three year. There just aren't. And, and I don't know why. I mean, it, it used to be that the, the one year was really all we had up until about 30, 40 years ago, and then we went to the three year. Um, so 
The nice thing with the one year for us as pastors, there's a lot more sermon resources available because all of Luther's texts that he preached on were, for the most part, the one-year series, okay? So one of the things I did this last week, and I'm going to share a little bit with you, um, one of my goals the last couple of years has been to read more of Luther's obscure sermons, um, and so I've been kind of working my way through that. I can't do that in the original German. Um, I, that would take me way too long, so I'm using translations, um, but working my way through those, and, and just some marvelous, and not only Luther, but also the church fathers as well. Um, most of, of that, you know, when, when you look at the history of that. So, so long story short, we're using kind of the one-year cycle. Um, if there's something you like or don't like or don't understand with that, come talk to us as pastors. Let us know uh, so we can answer any questions with that. Um, the gradual, you'll notice we won't always sing every Sunday because that's normally where our choir will sing. But we're still going to print it on the insert so that way you know what it is. Okay? Uh, the verse as well. So when you see in the hymnal, there'll be the Alleluia in the verse. Okay, uh, so it, I, a, a um, oh, what's the word? Uh, tongue died. Um, a combination of the Alleluia verse would be something like this. Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia, Alleluia. How many times did you sing Alleluia? Three times, okay, so that's kind of the historic Trinitarian Alleluia response, but sandwiched in between one Alleluia and two Alleluias is that verse. So in the hymnal and the divine services, you have a common verses that are put there, but there's actually, are you ready for this? There's a whole bunch of other verses. Now, we may or may not sing them, but we have such great musicians here and I don't want them growing cobwebs, and so I have challenged them. Uh, I've said, hey, there's some other cool stuff that you could sing or add instrumentation to. Um, there's just so much wonderful stuff you can do, you know, within it, and they can, you know, whether they do it or not do it, I don't know, but I just, I like giving people something to do. Um, so my wife says I tell people what to do, but I try not to do that, so. Okay, so that, that's just kind of just a brief explanation of kind of, you know, what we're doing. Um, and then we'll try and get these up on the website as well. I don't know if we've done that just yet or not. Um, are you getting the weekly emails yet? Is the bulletin getting emailed to you yet? I didn't know if she had started doing that. One of the things that we had talked about doing in the church office was just sending out a mailing on Friday that would include all the information for Sunday. She'd have it ahead of time. So if you want to do any preparation, readings, that sort of thing. And if not, just delete it. It's fine. Um, but that sort of thing. Okay. All right. Any questions before I dive into somebody preached too long this morning? So I don't know who that would be. It was 13 minutes when I read it uh, yesterday. But... <laughs> Reading it to myself is not the same as preaching it to you. So, anyway. Okay. No questions about anything? Nothing that you're like, yes, sir. Oh, boy. You know, I woke up this morning and actually thought about that. I thought, oh, my. So here's the deal. So the boys had a basketball game yesterday, and so I'm, 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 I've got an earbud in my ear, and I'm listening to the, the, the uh, Jayhawk Cyclone game, which didn't end well, if you're a Jayhawk fan. And at the same time, I'm flipping back and forth on my little Sirius XM app on my phone to what? The Colts game, right? So I was listening to the Colts game, but yeah, you know who I'm rooting for next weekend. <laughs> I even got for Christmas a great big Chiefs flag. So... We'll see if the McKay Parsonage house gets teepeed or not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. So, may the best team win. And you can decide who that is. So, there you go. Okay.
Any other <clears throat> significant questions? <laughs> so one of the sermons, um, and uh, you know, Luther, keep, keep in mind, and some of you have studied a little bit of, of kind of the church history, at least 500 years ago, um, Sunday mornings look so different than what we're used to. You know, I mean, we, we get to be an hour and 15 minutes in the divine service, and we have ants in our pants, you know, wondering why the pastor had such a long sermon or why it's taken so long at communion, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and for people at Luther's time, as you will still see if you talk to, you know, missionaries that come from different parts of the world, especially various countries in Africa, you know, Sunday is the Lord's day, and that's kind of the main thing that, that's done. So you're, you're looking at three to four hours you know, for a divine service, if you will, in Luther's time. And that wasn't laid out exactly the same way we did it. There would actually be kind of breaks, you know. So if you look on the bulletin, one of the things I've tried to do is follow a little bit of what the hymnal follows. So you'll notice the, the bold section, there's kind of three parts to it. There's confession, absolution, uh, which, which historically was not really part of the main public service. That was just done privately, okay. Um, and, and again, not required that you have to go to public confession and absolution, but that it's there. And we as practice, pastors still practice that. So if you have things that are troubling you, um, that's what we're here for, okay? Uh, and and we, are, we are bound under our ordination vows and by God not to uh, confess that which is divulged to us. We're there to help counsel you with God's word. We are not mental health practitioners, if we feel that you need some uh, help in that regards, we will perhaps refer you uh, to others that can you know, do a blood panel for you uh, and look at some other things. But in terms of applying God's word to your life, that's our job. Uh, and also now to, to, to hear those sins you are struggling with um, and to help examine you, not only for you to examine yourself, but to us to examine, do you recognize sin? Uh, and then when you do, that you may hear the words of Christ which is simply, I forgive you. So your pastor says to you, I forgive you, and you in faith believe that those words are from Jesus, right? No matter, you know, what he looks like. So um, that's, that's pastors is, and you've heard me say this before, but they're just UPS delivery men. Their job is to deliver, you know, the gifts uh, to the right address at the right time to the right people, okay? So in the bulletin, then you'll see confession absolutions. So that's technically kind of one part and you could say kind of service. Service just means that which is being done to you and for you. Then you have service of the word, and that includes those other parts. Uh, the intro, of course, is, is when you'll see then the pastors kind of enter the sanctuary proper. Um, and then you have the other parts. You know, we're back in with the Gloria now, which is wonderful, having uh, kind of refrained from that during the uh, Advent season. Um, so that way I don't screw up singing the right tone for the... Uh, uh, salutation. And then the readings, Old Testament, where they have a gradual, interspersed with psalms in there, choir hymns, gospel reading, then we confess our faith in the creed. And the sermon is kind of like the, Luther called it kind of the book fold, or kind of like the spine on a book, okay? So the, the, the sermon kind of is a hinge between the service of the word and the service of the sacrament, okay? So, so they're all together, but that's kind of how he helped teach people about having the Lord's Supper every Sunday, which it took him three years to teach that in, in Wittenberg. I noticed that, like, when we have communion, we say the 19th thing. Good question. They're all good. They're all good. Maybe we'll do Apostles' Creed next week because you asked. But <laughs> you know, the, the Apostles' Creed is obviously the shortest and simplest, and it's why Luther included it in his catechism. So the shortest and simplest and easiest to memorize. The Nicene Creed has a, a phrase uh, towards the end of it, and the next time you're in church, if you have a hymnal at home, open it up and see if you can find it. 
where it talks about Jesus being both God and man at the same time. So the Nicene Creed, uh, you know, it kind of focuses in a little bit more on the fact that, that now our Savior, uh, the Son of God, is both 100% human and 100% divine, okay? Um, and so what we are eating here in the bread and wine is also his body and blood, not in a comperdeetic, fleshly, zombie kind of way, um, but that it's really there. We believe that on faith, okay? Um, and, but that he's also God, okay? Um, I'm not going to use all the crazy Latin terms. I just makes myself sound smart, and I'm really not. Um, but, but that's kind of that inclusion. That was a big debate uh, with the Nicene Creed. And that was basically a, a heresy that the church was dealing with at the time. Um, so, okay. Arianism. Okay, see, I could go, we could go on about that. We'll do that another time. Does that answer your question? And so the Nicene Creed normally is used when we have the Lord's Supper. Okay, but one of the things you'll see that I like to do uh, is because I know some of you don't always recite your catechisms to yourselves daily when you're driving and crazy traffic or read them on your own, is I'll add the, we'll do the Apostles' Creed during different times of the year. And then, of course, on Trinity Sunday, and we really should do it more than one Sunday a year, what's the other creed? The Athanasian Creed, right? And so, you know, um, I, I tell my confirmation kids, you know, you memorize the Athanasian Creed, you can get out of memorizing the Catechism. <laughs> well, for this year. <laughs> you can do it once, right? I've only had one person do that <laughs> so far, okay? But you hear, if there's any kids with us, or tell your kids, okay? But that's a good one. That gets even more into the Trinity. So there's just different emphasis. They all confess Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, obviously. Okay? Somebody had their hand up. Yes, ma'am. What was the reason? Oh, why did they start doing that historically? Oh, good. That's a great question. So did you hear her question? Her question was, why did they get away from having the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Okay. Um, and probably the easiest way to... And there, were, there, were, there were a few different reasons. It depended on where you live. I don't want to get into this... So you got the Eastern Church and the Western Church, and you got the whole history of that. So they kind of attacked it from a different way. But, but I'll give you what is probably the easiest and safest answer, is that um, they became very pietistic. The Lord's Supper became more about them than it did objectively what was happened. So here's the question. Am I really prepared enough? You've heard me kind of drop this line. I call it the Saving Private Ryan moment. You know, have I really done, am I good enough? Am I really sorry for my sins? Have have I prepared enough to receive the Lord's body and blood? And so this is the, you know, now what you're doing is you're placing the importance of the Lord's Supper, not on your need to have it, but on your ability to prepare or believe or understand. Now that led into a whole nother string of errors which, and we even have some of this in the Missouri Synod today, um, and I love to kind of ask people this question. So um, if you come to, you know, church and the pastor consecrates that, uh, and, but yet you don't believe that the body and blood are really there, does that mean they're not? That's called receptionism, by the way. Is that, that, that's an error. We've actually condemned that as Missouri Synod. It's called reception, and it means that, that the, what, what is there in the bread and wine depends on what I believe it is. Okay? 
Now, in some sense, this was a postmodern thought before there were postmoderns. Okay? I mean, that your faith, your understanding made that thing be what it is. Right? So it's very subjective in that sense. And so, so, so then because of it, the Lord's Supper, then, well, I'm not sure if we need, to, we need to offer it to people. We need to make sure they're properly prepared. I mean, at Luther's time, it had gotten so bad that they were only having it once a year in some places. Some places. Okay? So Luther's like, hey, the Lord's body and blood is there when he says it is. When his words do what they do. The same word that created the heavens and earth, the same words that the pastor speaks, chants, whatever, that's what makes a thing what it is, okay? Now, how often do you need it? Now, see, if you go through the catechism, let's do that. Can I, can I answer your question further? Because this is part of why Luther lays out the catechism the way he does. Okay, so you got your hand. You guys all have it memorized, right? So you're good. Okay, where is, I know it's in the front of mine. Where'd it go? There it is. So Luther asked this, what is the sacrament of the altar? And what's the answer? It is the, the true, he qualifies it, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under, you guys all need to review your catechism now, you're welcome, <laughs> under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself who commanded it, who instituted it, okay, for us to do what? Eat and drink. You've heard me kind of tackle that one, right? Same question, what do we do with, with leftover, you know, bread and wine, body, blood, whatever it is, because we don't know what it is. Just what did Jesus say to do with it anyway? Eat and drink it. So that's the job, right? So it's not a talisman. We don't hang it around our neck. We don't put it on our bedstands. We don't hang it from our rearview mirror, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and then Luther always goes to Scripture. Where is this written? And then he quotes uh, the evangelist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul. And then you have the words of institution. And he says, what is the benefit of it given and shed for, for you, for the forgiveness of sins? So specifically now the Lord's Supper is for the believer. Okay, now to do what? To receive forgiveness of sins. That's the primary thing. And then life and then salvation are given through these words. Okay, for where there is forgiveness of sins, there's also life and salvation. Okay. So uh, he, he repeats that twice to make sure you remember that. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Um, it's not just the eating and drinking, okay? So it's not the, the manner, it's not whether you take the common cup or the individual cup. It's not what type of wine, you know, we've been used to Mogan David, so my family's trying to get used to the new wine, the different wines that you have here. I, that doesn't matter, it's still what? It's still the blood of Jesus when it's consecrated. Right? And some of you like a sweeter wine, some of you like a drier wine. You're all different. That's fine. Okay? These words, along with the bodily and eating, are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. So it's all about faith. So the body and blood are still the body and blood of Jesus. Now the question is, will you receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation? See the difference? When you eat and drink it. Okay? Because the Lord's body and blood and the bread and wine can also be harming, harmful to you, correct? Scripture tells us that, okay? Uh, you can eat and drink unto your, it's not damnation, it's judgment. Eat and drink unto your judgment, which means now that you'll be judged according to who? Not Jesus, yourself, okay? 
Uh, and then Luther goes on about who receives the sacrament worthily, and this is my long-winded way to get to your question. Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training, but that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So what's it all about? So many years ago, I mean, this has probably been, I don't know what it is, eight, ten years ago, when we went to the Lord's Supper every week, uh, which they had never done uh, at the last parish I came from, I had a lady come up to me and say, hey, um, this makes the Lord's Supper less special. Okay. Now, think about where she was coming from. And, and I love that she was going, you know, really trying to take some time to prepare herself for the Lord's Supper when we had. I love that. That's a good thing. But what, what, what did, had she become so focused on? Her own preparation, right? Her own readiness, um, as opposed to continuing to recognize as a sinner that she's always a sinner and that she needs what God, provide, what God provides, and now he provides it freely, right? So I, why, would you, why would you not want it? Sometimes people come to me and say, I don't know if I should take the Lord's Supper today, Pastor. I'm really struggling with something. I said, that probably means you need it really bad. <laughs> but I mean, we, we've been kind of trained to think that way, that we've got to be really prepared. And you know what? You'll never be completely prepared to receive the Lord's body and blood because you're a sinner. It's the simul, the simul justus epicata. You're simultaneously saint and sinner. You're never going to chase the sinner away. That's not going to happen until you die. Okay? I'm happy for my grandma because the sinner is gone. And we're going to bury that body tomorrow. That sinful body, we're going to stick in the ground. And you know what? We're going to stick in the ground like a seed. And when Jesus returns, that body's going to sprout brand new. Brand new body, no sin anymore when Jesus returns. That's pretty cool. And that's why we, we try and still bury bodies. It's not sinful to cremate, but we do that part because of what Scripture talks about, a body being sowed in the ground. Different way to think about it, okay? And caring for a body. Okay, now I got off topic. Did that answer your question? Any questions about that? I guess we're just doing open mic night here today during metal study. <laughs> so I had something prepared. Uh, we got less than 15 minutes left. Okay, that's okay. No. All right, any other questions or comments? Any other pastors want to follow up with any other response to that? Is that okay? So, I agree with you. It, it was very strong in, but well, it's been really strong everywhere we've lived, I think, Gina, right? I mean, St. Louis was huge. Little Rock had a big Roman Catholic presence in town, not so much outside or in the city. And then Hastings had a lot too. So keep in mind how often, we might have a few recovering Roman Catholics in here, how often is the Mass offered? Yeah, daily. Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's exactly right. So, so uh, of course, total misunderstanding of what's going on in it, right? So it's not, you know, offering up or, or opening up access for you uh, or to, to replenish your stock of, you know, didymus of power and authority to do good works or anything. Okay. All right. Any other questions or comments? Yeah. Monty?
Yep. We had that. I did some research in, in Hastings, just south of Hastings. Uh, there were, probably around the turn of the century, there was, there was a pastor who served seven parishes. This is before an automobile, before automobiles were invented. So he did this on a horse. Seven parishes. But he wouldn't do seven in one day. Couldn't do that. He would be at one, sometimes two in one day. But only when the pastor was there would they have the service of the sacrament. Lay people, elders would never do that. Of course, you know, now it's kind of a free-for-all in some parts of our Missouri Synod. Um, but same thing with baptisms, okay? Um, you know, funerals were, were often a different matter, but for the most part, that was, they'd, they'd wait for the pastor to come, and he'd travel around and serve and visit. I just can't imagine, you know, you get into those parts of the country, and it takes a while to drive in a car doing 60, 70 miles an hour. I can't imagine doing that on a horse or horse and buggy. Those guys, those are cowboy pastors. <laughs> <laughs> they were the real deal. Okay, thank you. Any other comments? I did, didn't I? Yeah, I want you to think about it. I am baptized is what you should always say. So it's not that I was baptized, I am baptized. Present tense. Because you live daily in your baptism, correct? And so your baptism uh, protects you uh, uh, from sin, death, and the devil, okay? So you, you've got a great gift given to you that you walk around in daily. And if you're a parent with kids, that should bring you great hope and joy. And if you're struggling, you know, with sin or you get fearful and worried, presence of evil or encounter horrible things in your life, which if you haven't, you will, um, because that's the sinful world we live in, you have those promises. And those are for you. So, Okay. Yeah, good stuff, yeah. So I just like having, I talked to Pastor Grady about it, and uh, he, he said, yeah, he goes, I kind of like having it in the middle too. And uh, so it's just, just kind of a great teaching. And I like to be able to point to those things too, teaching or preaching, or even we get the preschoolers. You know, there it is. But you can also think about it this way, why most of the baptismal fonts, you know, traditionally, they'd be either right at the back of the nave, the entrance into church. Sometimes they'd be in the middle of the church or kind of right at the front. Because you live daily in your baptism, and so you enter now into God's presence through your baptism. And so historically, the baptismal fonts were actually not up front where the altar was. They were kind of separated from that. Okay, So it doesn't really matter where we put it. It really doesn't. There's no law about it. So we'll probably move it around a few more times. So <laughs> somebody will trip over it or something. And we're like, oh, lawsuit. We better put it back. Okay, now I have nine minutes. Um, so what I wanted to show you, so this is, uh, this is a sermon that Luther wrote, uh, Epiphany sermon. Uh, so this sermon, do, 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 this was, okay, this would have been 1522. So this is, is fairly early in Luther's uh, day. And he preached on Matthew 2, 1 to 12. And the whole sermon itself is like, it's like 80 pages long. I mean, I know that's a translation, but it's, it's really long. But one of the things that, that was, and we don't know all the time whether Luther, he wrote a lot of stuff out, but a good portion of his work was recorded by his students, okay? So they, they would literally keep copious notes, and we found copies of those as well. Um, and, but what I found going through a lot of his sermons is there's, there's a large outline that's, pre, pre, you know, that's, prevent, that's presented, 
Um, and so I can preach from an outline. I was actually taught to do that uh, more so than write a sermon out. I try and do it both, so you'll, you'll get used to that. Um, but his, his outline is so very detailed. It's actually, we hear one, two, yeah. So you see the small print. There's the first two pages of the outline. There's pages three and four. Outline, okay, and then another half a page, okay? And then after that, he goes into the writing of it. But what I wanted to talk about today was a little bit about the story of the Epiphany, and he flushes this out. He spends a lot of time talking about the star and a lot of time talking about the wise men, okay? So the wise men are, are magi, okay? Um, and Luther spends a lot of time talking about these wise men not being sorcerers, per se, or um, evil sorcerers. <laughs> He doesn't like the word sorcerer, but he, he wants people to understand that there are true magicians. And he goes on, granted this is 500 years ago, so science has not arrived where we are today. But he talks about how a true magician will have an understanding of the world around him. And then he'll talk about how certain plants you know, will be helpful if you have indigestion, and how there's different minerals and stuff in stones. Um, and really, what is, what is Luther's understanding of what a, what a magi is, of what a wise man is? Take a wild guess. It's a, it's a Monty Weimer. No, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a scientist, a you know, chemist, a botanist. It's someone who studies the ways of creation, of what God has given and, and perhaps even for those of you that are teachers in that sense, and, and we'll probably all have a little bit of wise men in our jobs in some ways, because it's part of understanding how the, the world works. And he goes on, he talks about it, and, and then he, he goes on to talk about the star. And he says a lot of people, you know, when they think about the star, they think of these wise men, you know, they're looking up with their, you know, they're, they're charting the stars in the sky, and they probably did that. They, they probably were aware of that. But he said, keep in mind that this star was not like a regular star. And Luther talks a little bit about the angels appearing to the shepherds that night in Bethlehem. And Luther says, what if, what if God miraculously allowed them to see from afar in Babylon the glory of the heavens that were opened on the night Christ was born? Now, Scripture doesn't tell us any of this, okay? Uh, and Luther goes on to make sure he says, you know, there, there's some speculation here. He goes, but we do know this. This star that appeared was not a regular star. Nobody else saw it but these wise men. No one else. It's not recorded anywhere. Which is why people now that, that will attack us as Christians for believing the Bible to be God's word say, hey, wait a minute. Well, there was a comet that crossed the sky. That might have been it. You know, or a big Ignatius ball of gas exploded in some, so whatever. You know, uh, actually, Scripture doesn't, recording to that. And Luther, Luther tackles this head on. He goes, hey, he goes, this star wasn't at the time for the whole world. It was for these wise men. And then when you start to trace the history of what's going on in Babylon, now what becomes interesting, and I don't, I don't have time to include this in my sermon, 40 to 50 years later, so you're talking about 50, 60, 70 um, uh, AD, uh, there becomes a couple of famines there in the land in Jerusalem. Of course, they're going through, you know, um, I mean, Jerusalem gets, uh, you know, sacked basically in 70 AD. Do you know where they get all their help and assistance from? 
from Babylon. From a Babylonian queen and her son, who end up sending over grain trucks and food. Do you know why? Because they've become Christians. So you have all these descendants after the wise, you have this, this resurgence of Christianity that takes place in Babylon of all places, right? So you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, and of course that's their, their Babylonian names. You've got Daniel and Lion's Den. I don't want to spoil late service too much for some of you, but you know, the, 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 this whole, uh, you know, they took God's people. <laughs> and so there was teaching and there were things that, that you know, uh, got passed down from there. Uh, but it's very interesting. So Luther says, hey, you know, God's connecting now the Gentiles, okay? You know, and, and this should make you think a little bit of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Hebrew name was Saul, who was one of the biggest persecutors of the church. You know, we can't throw stones at the Babylonians, um, because whoever is without sin should throw the first stone, right? So now, when you start to think about how we're included this in Gentiles, to my knowledge, I don't have, I'm not of any Jewish descent. Maybe there's a trace somewhere in, in my bloodlines. I know we're all, you know, we, we all come from, from Noah somehow, right? Uh, or Adam and Eve that way. Um, but, but all part of being that, you know, children of the promise in terms of that heritage um, Gentiles, Gentile sinners. And so the Lord now sets the star in the sky. The wise men see it. And where do they go? They go to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that the star actually led them to Jerusalem. Did you notice that? That doesn't come till later. They saw the star and then they go to Jerusalem. Luther asked the question, why did they go to Jerusalem? Well, if they had heard from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or anybody else, they would have known right? Because this is all part of the promise of the Messiah that was to come. Very interesting when you start to think about it that way. So they show up at Jerusalem, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, Herod reads scripture, which late service people, I'll explain a little bit about why I think he did that uh, later on. Um, but uh, then the star does what? It appears to them again. And not only that, Luther spends a good many pages on this. This star was low enough that not only led them to Bethlehem, which there would have been a well-marked, fairly well-marked road to get there, but it led them to the exact house, which would have mean that the, the star was literally right over the Christ child. It wasn't just up in the sky. Because imagine trying to chart a point, right, without GPS satellites, <laughs> you know, right over that exact house, Okay. So that's, that's pretty amazing. It's miraculous when you start to think about it. And, and, and now what that means that God has now revealed himself to you and to me as well. Okay? So that's what Epiphany is all about. The revelation of, of God's grace, mercy, his presence with us in word and in sacrament as well. Okay, that was my 10-minute Bible study. We're done. Okay, anything else before we pray? Okay, so late service people, I won't be here to shake hands. I'm not going to be rude or anything. I just got to go catch a plane, and I got to figure out how to shorten my sermon a little bit. Nah, probably not, but it'll, it'll work out. So, okay, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.